0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. Uh, So good to be here with you this morning. Now, Steve, like you said, uh, we are best friends. We had that DTR, you know what I mean? I said, are we best friends? He said, yes, we are. I said, okay, great. Then let me preach at your church and prove it. And so here I am. But I want you to know, uh, Forest City, Elgin, that uh, when Steve talks about you, he, he, he continues to express how special this place is. And he continues to tell me about there's something happening here and there's something that, that he's so excited to just be a part of. And I hope you understand that I, I want to share that from my perspective of, of, you know, being friends with Steve and loving him and, and checking in on him on how things are going here. And he just continues to tell me how unique and special it is here. And then I've experienced this 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 morning this radical hospitality. I, I experienced just being pastored this morning, and he's also told me so much about the team that's here that's running this place. And so, Pastor Bria, thank you so much for your leadership. Welcome back, um, and I'm so glad to, to be here, um, man. Pastor Leonard, thank you, brother, and for and for all the things that you do. And then, Pastor Andy, are you a pastor here? Because yeah. you just pastored me this morning. Amen. Yeah. So thank you, sister, for all you do. And, and the rest of you that, that are here and make this place work, thank you. And so, I, and like Steve said, I, I do run um, this thing called Urban Youth Workers Institute. And i got to give you some bad news this morning, okay? Um, I want to let you know, because my world is this next generation, and we pour into leaders who are reaching the next generation, specifically in urban spaces, both nationally and internationally, Here in the United States, you have 1.2 million young people that leave the church every single year. Okay, And that should burden you. That should bother you. and, And the reason they're leaving is because they basically are like, you don't believe what you say you believe. And so, and I'm burned. and this is what I do. I, I go to churches, I plead with leaders, I'm, I'm in the large institutions, and I'm saying, listen, you gotta hear me. The world is increasingly young, urban, and multi ethnic. That's just the demographic, that's where we're heading. That's what it is. And so, some of the most important people that we can pour into are urban youth workers. Now, this 1.2 million young people that are leaving the church every year, these are not young people that haven't heard the gospel. These are young people that grew up in our churches, sang our songs, heard our gospel, and then watched our lives and decided, I'm good. I'm not compelled enough to actually join in and continue on this walk with Jesus. 1.2 million and so we have to own that, friends. We have to own that individually as the church. We got to own that collectively as the church. I am the church. I'm the body of Christ, too. And so are you. And so I've got to own it. Okay, that's my problem, too. Now, you, I know you're not in my work. Some of you might be. But it's your responsibility. And we got to own that, not only individually, but collectively. Collectively. Now, one of the things, you know, as I've, I've been thinking about this for the last 20 years, and I've been in churches, I've planted churches, I've run nonprofits, I'm, I'm in the space. And I realized that, you know, this issue of young people leaving the church and, and just people in general going, I'm good. It has to do with this thing. You ever do the, the, the right thing for the wrong reason? Anybody? Right. And so I I remember um, I I have five children, like Steve said, I got two of them in high school. And so I'm driving them to drop them off at school. Um, And so as we're driving to school, we get to to the school and there's a there's a kid that is his car is stalled right in the middle of the lane. And he's outside and he's a high school student. He doesn't looks like he's lost, you know. And so. Right. So, of course, I just drive right by him. You know what I'm saying? So I drive by him. Um, I drop my kids off and I'm thinking about this kid. I'm like, man, he looks like he needs some help. So I come back down the, the, the road to wh- where he's at. And because I'm a pastor and a good Christian, I didn't stop. I just kept on, I just, you know what? Somebody help him. You, you know, he might have a dad. He should call him. And I just, I just left. And as I left, then the Holy Spirit started being like, come on, you know, that was messed up. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. And so I'm having a conversation with the Lord. I said, I'm sorry, God. N- next time somebody needs some help, I'm there. <laughs> and so don't you know, it's just like look, the Lord, I pull up to the next stoplight and I look over and there's a, there's a man who looks like he's been on the street for a little while in a busted up wheelchair and he's, he's pushing himself backwards across this huge intersection. And I just go, really, God? you're going you're gonna to do it that quick, huh? So I jump out of my car, and I go, hey, hey, brother, like, can, I, can I help you out? And he's like, yeah, and, and I, I grab him, and, and I'm kind of hurrying him along, and he's, his legs hurt, so he's kind of like, whoa, whoa, you know, and I'm like, yeah, brother, but we got places to go, you know what I mean? So, so I, I get him on the curb. The cars are honking at me. We miss the light. You know, people are upset, but whatever. Look at me. I'm a good Christian. Now, I get in back in the car, and I got to be real honest with you. I did the right thing. But honestly, when I saw this brother pushing himself across it, I said, this is going to take too long. I need to help. I just need to get him out of the way so I can get on with my day. I didn't learn my lesson, right? So I did the right thing for the wrong reason. How about doing the, the wrong thing for the right reason? And I feel like this is, you know, I, I feel like I was thinking about this, and I'm like, sometimes the church does does the, the wrong thing for the right reason. And, and just imagine a bunch of Christians get together and they go, hey, one of them's a leader, right? And he's like, hey, we should share the gospel. Everybody else like, that, that's a good idea, right? That's the right thing to do. We should share the gospel. And then guy's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get some signs. And we're going to go someplace where a lot of people are, maybe a lot of cars where people gather, okay? And, and, and the people are like, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. And he's like, all right. So we started making signs and then he's like, and then they're like, what are we going to do when we get there? And he's like, when we get there to share the gospel, what we're going to do is we're going to write how God hates all the things about these people on these signs. And then we're going to stick them up there. It's going to be a great. And for some reason, these people were like, yeah, let's do that. That makes no sense. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Right. And I think this is the problem with the church. And this morning I want to make sure as the church that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. You with me? So Acts 13, here it goes. Let me set it up for you. So Acts 13 is a pivotal moment in the kingdom of God and the movement of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, go there. I'll have some some scripture on the screen for you as we go through this. So in in Acts 13, we take a shift. Now in Acts 1-8, which I'm sure you guys studied, it talks about how the holy spirit's going to move us out and we're going to start in jerusalem right the church starts in jerusalem then where does it go judea then it's going to go samaria and then it's what to the ends of the earth and this is what's happening in acts 13 where now it's about to start it's about to go to the ends of the earth and this is the first missionary journey But what I want you to understand is, although the church started in Jerusalem, the blueprint for the church for us today is in Antioch. That's the blueprint for us as the New Testament church, as we continue to grow. It's not Jerusalem, it's actually Antioch. And so as he sets this piece of scripture up, we start looking at it, and I want to go, okay, this new community that God has created, the church, the body of Christ, there, it, it, the, the New Testament teaches and exposes this new type of humanity, a new way of being that was very different from the world. And it started to change the way people understood relationships, changed the way families worked in the Roman world. It changed the way we, we interacted with each other. It changed the way we thought about even economics. It started to change the way that we, that we interact in this world. And it started to create a new type of community. And Antioch is the blueprint for that. And so when we think about this, then I, and as I was working through the scripture in pre- preparation for today, I said, well, what are the new marks of this new community? And I want to lead us through that today, and I want to make sure that we do the right thing for the right reasons. So you ready? Well, I got four of them for you today as we get through the scripture. Here it is. The first one is this. We see in Acts 13, it, it, it pops off, right? And the first mark of this new type of community is that it's diverse. Okay? It's diverse, but listen to me, church, not for diversity's sake. Because we want to do the right thing for the right reason. Okay, so check, check this out. In verse 1, it says, Now in, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So these are the leaders of the church. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we then know as Paul. Now I call this, this is the Furious Five. Okay, the Furious Five of Antioch. Any hip-hop heads in here? Okay, we got, that was disappointing. Um, so okay, um, the Furious Five in Antioch. So they have these five leaders, and, and, and then they, they tell us a little bit about these leaders. And so what's interesting is the Furious Five, it's a very diverse group of people. You got older folks and younger folks. You have Barnabas, who was actually Paul's mentor. So you actually have the diversity of age. You had some older folks that had some wisdom and lived some life, and they're pouring into some younger folks, like, like Saul, who we know as Paul, Right? You had, I mean, you had ethnic uh, uh, diversity as well, where it talks about Simeon called Niger. Now, Niger, what it straight up meant was black. His brother was probably from North Africa, right? But but what you're looking at that, you could be like, this is some racist, non, you know, New Testament stuff. Why you got to let people know that he was black? But when you see yourself in scripture, it matters, doesn't it? I got, I got a section over here. Amen. Okay. Okay. But that's okay with the diversity. If you're saying quiet, that's okay. I, I love you too, right? We're different. And so because of that, but then I connect with that because I grew up, I'll tell you my background in a minute, but I grew up in an urban space. I grew up in the black community. And the, in the community that I grew up in, we give each other nicknames. Shoot, my dad actually lives in Mexico. I have Mexican brothers and sisters. I lived in the barrio for a long time. And we also have nicknames, don't we? Carinos, right? And they'll be like, hey, you know, que onda, gordo? You know, you're like, bro, why you call that dude fat? I'm not. I'm loving him right now. (laughs) Calm down. All right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, flaco, ven aquí. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, man, why you guys keep on calling me skinny? Because I love you. That's why. And so the New Testament writers, when they get to this place and they go, Simeon, called Niger, they're just like, that's my man. In fact, when I grew up, we, you people used to go, what up, black? You know? And so there is that kind of that, that familiarity. There's, a, there's, there's something about that piece, that cultural piece. When they put it in here, I see that. And I'm like, oh, Lucius of Cyrene, he's going to be a lighter skinned brother because he was from um, like modern day Libya. So, also African. Now, you also have to understand that this, these two brothers were probably immigrants as well. We have anybody that's ever immigrated in here? So, not only that, then they, they, have to, they understand what it's like to leave their home and go somewhere else and the difficulty of that. And these are the prophets and teachers, these are the leaders of this church. Not only that, but then you have Manan. So, you have socioeconomic diversity, right? This brother grew up um, in the household with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. Okay, you're talking about the halls of power. And also that did not exclude him from this new community to say, no, we, we want you. If you follow Jesus, you can come be a part of it. So it doesn't even exclude people that, that come from money, that come from certain cultural places, that come from, from oh, the haves, right? because they're with the have-nots. And it's this beautiful picture of diversity. And, and so that's, it's, it's just, this is the, the church, the blueprint for us. And when I look out at this church, I'm like, oh, you're on the right path. But can I tell you something? It's not for diversity's sake. Let me share something with you as, as I uh, – and I connect with this also, by the way, because I'm, I'm mixed. I know it doesn't look like it, right? Do we have any Filipinos in the house? You're Filipino, my man? Come on, dude. What's up? Um, I'm mixed. I'm, I'm white and Filipino. Grew up in the black community. My dad lives in Mexico. I have Mexican brothers and sisters. And then I, I lived in the barrio for 17 years. And then I was even on church staff for a predominantly Korean American church. So I'm all over the place. Okay? But, but, so when I connect with this, I'm like, yes, this is what it looks like. Because being from all these different places, sometimes it feels like I'm from nowhere. And to know that I, that there's a church community that there's a community that goes, no, Tommy, you you belong in all of your mixed up ethnicity and places that you're coming from. Ah, oh, it's, it's so beautiful. But the problem that I see in the church today is the church a lot of times thinks diversity is the destination, and they're just like, look, we okay, we don't want to look racist, so we better have all colors on stage, right? But, but, that, but then all we are looked at is that this is just a piece of you, and then we're objectifying that one piece. And that's not what, what the, the church was doing. These were the prophets and leaders of this church, and they were diverse. The reason we, we want diversity, brothers and sisters, is so that we can receive the whole gift of who people are so that we may grow deeper in, with Jesus. That, that's the... That's why we want diversity. We don't want compliance, friends. We don't want compliance like, hey, well, we let's just make sure, you know, we got the right optics. No, we need the we need the the I need the gifting. Do you know that when when I started learning Spanish and and I um and Okay, my Spanish is horrible, so I, I know some of you are going to come up to me and talk to me, and I'm going to be like, okay, this is going to be nerve-wracking. However, when I started re- learning Spanish, I was going to Spanish church. I was living in, the, in these neighborhoods, and, and I, I started to understand and read Scripture in Spanish, and I started realizing that the righteousness of God is la justicia de Dios. And when I started to understand that, I started asking the pastor, what do you mean by, like, help me understand. So the, the righteousness in Scripture actually means the justice of God. In, in, in the Spanish translation. And when you start understanding that, then I started understanding like, oh, so we need justice not only here. And the justice that's due me, Jesus took care of that justice, right? But I also need to see justice here, that, people are, that there's equity, that people are treated right. Love God, love others. And I started understanding this. But my understanding of righteousness from my cultural background and my church background was that um, I'm just holier than you are. Do you see that? Like, oh, I'm righteous. You're not. And when I understood from my Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters the gift of that language, the gift of the, those different ethnicities and cultures and things like that, I can receive the whole gifting of somebody and then grow deeper with Jesus. I can understand God in ways that if it's just us, our group only, and we got groupthink, I will never grow beyond what our group thinks. And, man, I don't know about you, but I want to know Jesus in every single way. I want to know, I want to know what, what brother from North Africa, how do you understand God? How do you read the scripture? How, how do you relate to creator God if it's my Native American brothers and sisters? And they talk about creator God, and I'm like, man, I just, I never thought about it that way. That's why we want diversity, friends. And so we want, to, it's, it's diverse, but not for diversity's sake. Second, it's unified. The the mark of this community is unified, but not for unity's sake. Here's what I mean. Let's continue going on. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Do you know what this was happening right here? Is you have these five, the Furious Five, incredible leaders and men, and yet they're so they have they've walked together, they trust each other enough to be in unity with the Spirit. And when they all come together and they start praying, they go they go look, the Holy Spirit's telling me it's you two, and everybody else in that group's going, "Yep, that's what I heard too." There's a unity in the Spirit there. That needs to happen. It has to be a mark of this new community and of our church. And the reality of that is that if you're gonna, you need to trust somebody to, to believe that, right? That they heard from the Holy Spirit, that what they heard is right, that what they heard is, is congruent with Scripture, that, that you trust that person. And if you're gonna have trust, you need to know each other. And if you really wanna know somebody, you have to have conflict with them and suffer with them. It's called compassion means to suffer with. And one of the things that we need in the church, brothers and sisters, we need people to suffer with each other, not service to. You can serve somebody without loving them. You know that, right? But you can't love someone without serving them. You got to flip that. And so if we're going to be in unity as the church, we need to actually have to grow deeper with each other. And that's going to be hard when it's diverse. And I actually think that's a gift of God. Because when I try to do this and I don't understand where you're coming from and, and, you know, why why'd you say that to me? And we're all offended and we get in our feels and all this kind of stuff. I run back to the presence of God and I just go, I don't get it. And he's like, oh, continue moving. and And as I am in the presence of God, I get all the fruit of the spirit, right? Because that's where you get it from. And I can come back and interact with somebody. And that kind of conflict and that kind of tension actually helps me grow deeper with God. I know I'm in the Midwest, but we can't always be the Midwest nice about this. You understand? We actually have to journey with each other to when we get into a prayer group, we go, what are we going to do with our church? That I trust the person next to me because I go, you know what? I'll journey with this person. They love God. They hear from the Holy Spirit. And we can't have a spectator sport here, friends where you, you let us, right, the professional Christians, lead all this stuff, because then you never get to know Jesus in the deep way that we get to. And so it's on you as well. And and the generation that's coming behind you is watching us. There's an indictment on us on that. And so we need unity in the spirit of that. But it's not just for unity's sake. I used to run this nonprofit organization called Solidarity, and we're running all these things in the city, and and every so often, all the pastors in the city would be like, "We gotta get together. We gotta get together and pray." And I know it sounds really, you know, unspiritual, but I'd be like, "Why? Why? Do, I'm out here working my tail off in these neighborhoods and streets. Why do you want to get together and pray?" And they're like, "Cause, man, we just need to be unified." And I'd go, oh, "I hear you, pastor, but why?" I need to understand what is the mission and vision. that Where are we going together? I need to be unified with you. I need you actually to be out on the street with me. And when you're out on the street with me, Pastor, not just on the stage, you're going to start to understand what's actually going on in the city and that I can't and we can't spend our time just meeting for every month to pray. Prayer is really important. But just to pray while, while kids are dying in the street. While, while the state of California, was in 2010, they, they took away uh, summer school. And, and our, my neighbors were coming to me going, Tommy, what are we going to do? We all work. Our kids are going to be out on the street. And you know what happens then. Kids were getting killed. It was bad. And yet, because I had journeyed with a lot of these pastors, pa- Steve was one of those pastors, and all these other pastors, and they trusted us. we trusted each other. When that call came, I said, listen, we've got to all get together and we've got to replace summer school. Church, I need you to show up. Stop telling me you want a service day on Saturday. I need you the whole summer. Because the Holy Spirit was moving. And in those moments, because we had suffered together, we had had conflict together. I, we had, I I cared about the church. I want to see this really happen. And I want to see their people be discipled. I was like, look, now's the time. And you know what? the church of Fullerton, California came together and we replaced summer school and all the, the title one schools in our city. It was incredible. And do you know, amen. Praise God for that. But, but you know that, that, that thing is still going on today. The the kids that were in that original now are grown up and now they're running those programs. Like, do you, I mean, so when the spirit, when spirit's going, Hey, I need you guys to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. When the spirit moves, you all have to be in a place where you trust each other enough. You've had the conflict. You jump into the tension so that you trust each other enough. When the Holy Spirit says, let's move, let's send these two, let's let let you step down from this, let you give away this, that you trust each other and you move forward. Because right now in in the church in the United States is the most diverse, uh, is the most divisive time I've ever seen. Like, we are mad divided. And people are watching that and be like, I thought you guys were all about love. You can't even love each other, let alone people that aren't like you. So I need that for you. I need, I need you desperately to trust each other, to have the hard conversations, to, to deal with the things that are even in this church specifically, things that rub you wrong, things that are like, I don't understand and seek to understand to bring that unity. Because this the, the world is watching us. So we need to be unified but not just for unity's sake. We, there's a reason why. we need that so that other people may come to know the Lord that we, that we know. Number three is this we, we need to be powerful but what? not for power's sake. Here it is. Um, if you go down to verse eleven, it says this. Now, what's happening here is there's a Jewish sorcerer and a, and a false prophet. His name is Bar Jesus. Okay, um, it's like a bootleg version of Jesus, right? So, um, Bar Jesus. Um, <laughs> he needed better branding than that, but Bar Jesus. And and this is what happens. He's he's saying all these things, and so. Paul shows up and Barnabas show up and he's doing all this stuff. And then here's what Paul says to him. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, church, you should be you should be a powerful church. You have the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and each and every one of you who have accepted Christ and collectively you hold that power. This should be a powerful church. This church should be, people should be asking questions like what is going on in that church in Elgin? Why why is our block starting to change? Why is, right? Why are things starting to change? Why are people finding this space to belong to? What is so powerful about you that that you're the way you use your resources and the way you use who you are and the way you use your giftings that that you are exhibiting the power of the Holy Spirit? But here's the problem in the in the verses I just gave you, right? Here's where we get it wrong, Christians, is that we read this verse and it's like, no, you see what Paul did, right? The enemy and he blinded him. That's the kind of power we want, right? Okay, can I give you a different version and understanding of the scripture? Um, how did Paul come to? How did Saul come to know Jesus? He got blinded, didn't he? Jesus showed up and blinded him, and what did that do? That changed his whole life and brought him into a loving relationship with God. Now we look at this kind of power move, and we're like, "Yeah, that's right. I wish I had that kind of Jedi power, and I'll start, you know, just smiting people." Oh, you don't believe in Jesus? You don't come to Forest City? Bam! You know, and people are just like, "I can't see," and I'm like, "Well, I'll lead you to the church then," and right. So so we look at that, and in, in the United States, we look at power dynamics like that. But what I think Paul was doing was like, I'm going to bless you with the same thing I was blessed with. That you might be come to know Jesus in a real way. And what's interesting is they don't ever tell the rest of the story. But I know that Paul's hope was that Bar Jesus will come to know the real Jesus. And so it, it goes on. Here's, here's another if if you go down, you'll see another picture of this of this power dynamics happening. In forty two, it says as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things the next Sabbath. Now the power of their gifting is starting to happen, right? And, and people are starting, man. They love to hear the gospel, and they're coming. They're coming. And so then what happens is. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judah followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, about almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Amen. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. See, when we start moving, right, the, the religious space here is that we need to control the power. We need to control the narrative. We need to have control over this. The power that's being exhibited, we need to control. And we don't like that all of a sudden everybody thinks you're better than us. That's how the world works. And a lot of times in religious institutions, that's how it works as well. But you know that one of the most Christian things you can do is give power away? You need to be a powerful church, but it's not about power. Jesus on the cross Gave all his power away. This is the central piece of Christianity. And yet, when we're here and the power that God has given you, each one of you has agency. Each one of you has power. You might not feel like it. But not only the way that God's made you, where you come from, the giftings, your ethnicity, your culture, your leg all the things that make you wonderful and a gift in the kingdom of God. Right? There's power in that. And yet we get so scared and we want to hold on to the power because we're nervous about what the future holds. We're nervous about where God's leading us. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you have to give power away. It's a Jesus thing. And so for every single one of us here, wherever you're at, in your work, in your home, you can give power away. You can help empower other people. You can say, hey, it's not me. Why don't you do it? And this is such a mark of the church. Can you imagine the church in America if it just continued to give power away instead of like the Jews in in the city here in this moment where they want to try to control it? And so what? They start to heap abuse on the very people that they were like, we love what you're saying. Does that feel like where the church is at today in the United States? It does to me. And we start looking for other places of power, because we're nervous about the future. My God is in control. I'm not worried about the future, but here's the thing. I want to be a part of it. Do you? For a City, you, you were put in this place. You're put in this building. You're put together here for a purpose and a reason, and it's not to maintain control or power. You know how many churches I know that, that you know, they're, they're smaller and the, the, the neighborhood is gentrified, right? So it doesn't look like the church anymore. And every time those people always tell Tommy, you know what? We, we used to be the biggest church. We used to be, we were the first ones to televise, you know, our, our sermons. You know, we were, and they always go back to the past. And they're forgetting that God is alive right now and he wants to do something. And they could be a part of it if they were just open to it and let the power go. Do you know how many urban youth workers are out there working in the streets with nothing? And you got empty buildings? All over this country where 10 people gather on a Sunday <laughs> and we're out on the street, right? Trying to trying to teach the gospel and get you know kids you know up on their homework and these kind of things, it makes no sense. And so many times I've gone to these churches and said, Hey, can we use your building? We'll even pay for it. And they're like, Ah, the kids you work with, they might mess up our carpet. Luckily, you don't have that problem here, you know what I'm saying? Oh, man, I, I hope none of the Seventh-day Adventists hear me say that. They'll be offended, brother. they would be like, man, who are you talking about? <laughs> and so, friends, we, we need to be powerful. I need you to exert your power by giving it away, by behaving like Jesus. And I think God will be glorified in that. Lastly, if we wrap up, last one is this. Joyful, but what? Not for joy's sake a mark of our community that we should be joyful, but not for joy's sake. It said in 52, as we get to the end of the chapter, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But if you read this whole thing, they were were getting abused, right? And not only on the first missionary journey, they go this way, and then they cut back and they come back around and they get abused some more. And at the end of it, they're like praising God, full of joy. Now a lot of it for in our culture right now happiness is a big thing like we all just want to be real happy right Like we're everybody we're we're all searching for that all the time and is it working? No it's not. It's insatiable. It, it's like it just over and over again but we're called to be joyful in the midst of our suffering. But here's the thing we need to be joyful but not for joy's sake. If I have if I have any parents in the room? Yep. Okay. I told you I have 5 kids, right? So five times I've gone to the hospital, and I've I've experienced this part. We had two V-backs. This is getting a little intimate, but we had two V-backs and a couple C-sections, right? We we switched it up just because we like variety, you know what I mean? And and experiencing this, you know, every time they pulled that child, you know, from my, my wife's body, oh, the joy. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, just it's just a moment of just pure joy. And they put it, they put the baby on your chest, on my wife's chest. They're like, oh, that it was so beautiful, right? And yet, I didn't, my wife didn't get pregnant. We didn't plan to have these children for that one moment, did we? Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, good, I'm glad that happened. Well, you know, good luck, baby. You know? <laughs> Hope this works out for you. No. And you, now you, i got to take care of this child. i got to grow this child. i got to discipline this child. i gotta, I got to help this child become everything that God created them to be. And can I just be honest right now? Bria started this. She was all honest up here and stuff. Um, it hasn't been super joyful since that time when I picked them up, you know. There, there's, been, <laughs> there's been moments of it, right? But they feel fleeting. You, you feel, I'm, I'm like... Where where what's the moment, child, where where I picked you out? Ah, yes, but now you're just asking me for snacks all the time. You know, and you're breaking stuff in my house, and 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 so. But but you see, I we didn't have children for that moment of joy, did we? We had children because we loved them, and God called us to that. And we have a relationship with this person, this being who was made in the image of God. That's actually the point of it, isn't it? And the joy comes from the relationship that I have with that child. This is my flesh and blood, and I do have these moments of joy with them. Not always, right? But, but as as and so, I'll suffer with my children. Why? Because I love them. When you have a real, honest relationship with God, you understand the gospel. It's living out of your life. You're being healed. You're you're growing. You're becoming who you're created to be. You're seeing God do miracles. He's giving you the power. You're doing all the things. Like, all of a sudden, I know this God, and I'm like, this is the best thing ever, even when it doesn't feel like it. Nothing else compares to me when I think about what Jesus has done in my life. Nothing. And for the joy... I will suffer for that. For the joy of that, I will do the hard work. For the joy of that for a city, you got to do the hard work of becoming this type of church so that this city and beyond experiences God, but you can't leave people where you haven't been. We need deep people that that know Jesus, that have worked through it, that have that have that have suffered, that have been angry with God, that have had the conversations. And, and not only just with God, but with each other. Because, right, we're talking about a new type of community. And so, man, we got to be joyful, but not for joy's sake. We do it because I love God. And yet, we got to be so different that I've, my mind's been transformed by scripture, by the gospel, by my actual relationship with God, that when hard times come, the way I react, the way I speak about it, the way I move in it, is so different from the world that they're like, okay, what what do you have? And there's a whole generation coming up that in the time and space that they were born in, they're desperate. I need something that works. And what kills me is they're overlooking us, looking at all these other things. Well, I know that doesn't work because you and I, we need to take this seriously. So Forest City, We need to have these marks. You need to have these marks. I need you to have these marks. Because for me and what God's called me into, there's a whole bunch of young people coming up behind us that desperately need hope. They need everything that you have here. And they need to be invited into community with those four marks. So we want to make sure that we do the right thing for the right reason. And so through our scripture this morning, through Acts 13, I want to make sure that you understand this is your responsibility, and every single person in here has a responsibility to actually live these things out, both individually and collectively. And so if you will, I just want to to bless you. Steve was right. This is a special place. There's something happening here, and each and every one of you matters. We need you here. The church needs you here to bring the whole gifting of all you got. And you might be sitting here this morning, and you're like, Tommy, I don't, I don't bring gifting. I bring issues. <laughs> You're welcomed here. And we want to be a community here. Shoot, I'm a, It sounds like I'm already part of this church. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need a community here that receives people like that. We'll walk with them through that. And we'll give them grace. And we'll have the hard conversations. And we'll love them in a way so that we become the community that we were created to be. I'm so overwhelmed by by how many young people are out there that are so struggling. Shoot, not even just young people, just people, right? That are desperate for something that really works, and I need you to be an example of that. And so let me pray and bless you this morning, Forest City. It's been such a pleasure to be here to see what God's up to. Through through my friend Steve and through the leadership here and through you. Thank you for your faithfulness to what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would continue to fall on this place. And and I just I pray too, Lord, that that as you fall on this place, that can we just even experience you physically, God, from our the top of our head to our shoulders. Brother and sister, let your shoulders drop from the things you're carrying. Can we just breathe you in, Holy Spirit, this morning? Can we experience you, your healing, your love, your care, your kindness to us? And Lord, may you help us be the type of church that you're calling us through through Acts 13, God, that we will receive the gifts of the diversity of the body of Christ so that we may know you better. May we be unified in the spirit, which means we gotta have a lot of conversations with you and with each other. God, would you just help us grow deep with you and with each other, God, and be unified in your spirit so we know where you're calling us to go. God, make us powerful, Lord. Help us understand what you've gifted us with so that we can give it away, Lord. God, make us powerful, God, with your spirit and who you are, God. Lord, we thank you, Lord. And and lastly, we I ask that you make us joyful in the midst of our suffering, that we would have that renewal of our mind, that we would see things different than the world sees it, God. And, God, I experienced that joy this morning, Lord, as as Pastor Andy just led us in worship, God. and, And there was just a sense of, yes, the excitement of the space, God. The joy of the Lord is here, Lord. Thank you for that. And so I bless you for a city that you become the church that God created you to be, that others may come to know the one true God. In the name of Jesus, amen.